Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year. Unless it's a leap year, then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012. It's now the 23rd day of March, 2017. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording from the Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager, Bob Melvin, and just down the 101 from AT&T Park, the home of the San Francisco Giants. Well, I'm going to make it official here. Uh, I've given it a lot of thought. Uh, I know a lot of people were supportive of me doing the weekly podcast on a Wednesday, but I've decided, uh, at least initially, I may change the format. I'm going to post it on Thursday. I don't want it to have a conflict with Real Crime Profile. So the last Sully Baseball Daily podcast will be on April 2nd, opening day, 2017. And the first weekly podcast will be April 6th. I'm not going to take a week off. I'm going to go right into it. There's going to be a new episode on April 6th. And that will be when the podcast will be rechristened Sully Baseball. So if you're keeping score at home, and I know you are, that means there's going to be this, this uh, you're going to have all of next week, all the rest of this week, and all of next week. And next week will be the last uh, Saturday, which will be the uh, April 1st, which is not going to be April Fool's Day, because April Fool's Day sucks. I'm not going to do an April Fool's Day prank. They suck. Uh, I'm going to have the, uh, that's going to be the last of the Saturday uh, teams that should have won. I am going to include that as a series on the show, the weekly show. And so get your Sunday request in for this Sunday, the 26th, which will be the last real Sunday request because April 2nd, uh, the final daily podcast show is going to be something that I hope will be, if I have the time to do it, um, Hopefully, it'll be something pretty special. Um, anyway, let's, uh, let's get on with the business at hand here. Um, the United States won the World Baseball Classic, and good for them. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be someone who says, you know, I, if you like the World Baseball Classic, great. Believe me, there's one thing your pal Sully is not going to do, and that is discourage you from watching baseball. If you liked watching the World Baseball Classic, fantastic. I hope you loved it. If you say it's the greatest baseball you ever saw and you like it better than the World Series, okay. I don't. Um, I don't see how anyone could. But if that's how you do it, fine. Great. I, I am never one to discourage someone from watching baseball. I just don't care about it. I really, you know, it's funny. I, I checked the, the spring training scores, but, you know, ahead of the WBC, but that's just me. If you enjoyed it, great. But it's over now. The United States won, and um, I'm sure it was a fun place to be. Uh, United States versus Puerto Rico, and there you go. I, I really hope they find ways to make it work better than it currently is for the next incarnation of the World Baseball Classic. Uh, I, I, I hope they find ways to 
get a little more interest. I still stand by my way of saying it's a tournament where the players are not just playing to win that, but try to get a, a job in professional baseball. Uh, I think that the intensity will be high. You know, Stroman was throwing a no-hitter through six in the clinching game of a World Series. He would keep pitching, but that's neither here nor there. It's over. Congratulations to the American team. Now let's get to work. Um, I, every year I do the In Memoriam video. I've done two of them as a collaboration with Rafael Rivera, wonderful editor that I know here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And the last one I did on my own. And every year there are people who pass away that you go, oh man. And some of them are more obscure. And some of them are, oh man, I didn't know they were still with us. And sometimes it's someone who had a real big impact on the game. And I don't want to lose sight on the impact on the game between 1979 and 1984 that Dallas Green had. Dallas Green passed away today. And with that, a man who was a, had a peak of influence on baseball that was really remarkable when you consider the teams that he was peaking with. He was, Dallas Green was a player. He played um, for the Phillies in the early 60s. He was a pitcher. And, um, and he pitched, he pitched for a couple of teams, the Phillies, uh, Washington, the Mets. You know, he was, he was not a, uh, uh, he was not a great player, but, you know, he, he had a major league career. But he made his mark in the front office, both as a general manager and, and as a manager, with two teams that did not exactly have a tradition of winning. They did not exactly bring it on home as big-time winners. Now, Dallas Green joined the, uh, the front office of the Phillies when his career ended. And remember the Phillies. Keep in mind what the Phillies were in baseball history. By all accounts, the Phillies should have moved. The Athletics were a team with a rich history and success in the major league level. And they were a team that won in the 1900s, 1910s, 1920s, and the 1930s. And the Phillies didn't win piddly-poo. They won one pennant in 1915 where they got whumped by the Red Sox. And then later they won a pennant in 1950 where they got whumped by the Yankees. Actually, a couple of the games were close, but they were swept. And the Phillies just happened to be popular at a time when teams were considering moving. It became clear that cities could not support two teams. And they just happened to be popular at the time 
when the f- athletics were getting antsy and they left. They moved to Kansas City and then they ultimately left for Oakland. The Phillies should have been the team to leave because the A's were the team with the history and the success in Philadelphia. The Phillies were the last original team, last original franchise to not win a World Series title. Now, the Senators won a title in 1924. The St. Louis Browns never won a World Series, but they became the Baltimore Orioles, and they won a bunch of World Series. When you went down the line of the original teams, we got to 1980 with the Phillies never having won a World Series. You understand that? Now, they were, they were a National League team before the formation of the American League, but they were, you understand what I'm saying here. The World Series began in 1903. And eventually, even some of the stubborn teams, even some of the teams with a terrible history, as I said, like the Senators, would stumble into a World Series. The only two franches of those original bunch that got to the 1950s Without a World Series title were the Phillies and the Browns. The Browns moved, and the Phillies remained in place. When you had teams with terrible histories like the Senators or the Browns, and they move, then they, and, you know, or the Braves, who didn't exactly have a great winning tradition in Boston, say for 1914, and they move, then it feels like a fresh start. It feels like, yeah, maybe we can get something going here. And it was a fresh start for Saint, the St. Louis Browns, who won a bunch of World Series in Baltimore. It was a fresh start for the Braves, who moved and won a World Series in Milwaukee shortly after moving there. But the Phillies were a franchise that not only didn't win but they were stuck in their original place. They still had the, the city and the legacy. They still had the generations of fans that they let down. And not only did they not win a World Series, and not only did they have only two World Series appearances between the original World Series and the late 1970s, but they also had one of the great epic collapses in 1964 when they just fell apart down the stretch and blew the pennant to the St. Louis Cardinals. This was a team of futility. This was a team of choking. This was a team that you looked at and said, they don't win. They've never won. And with Dallas Green in the front office, things began to turn around. They made the postseason in 76. They made the postseason in 77. They made the postseason in 78. Now, in 76, they played the Cincinnati Reds, who were just running another, playing in another universe. So they didn't really have a chance there. They should have won the pennant in 1977. They had the best team. They had the wins. They had the talent. They blew game three of the uh, NLCS and ultimately lost the pennant to the Los Angeles Dodgers, who lost the World Series to the Yankees. 
And then they lost the, the pennant again in 1978 to the Dodgers. Well, the Dodgers probably the better team that year. And it was clear that Dallas Green, who was in the front office of the uh, Phillies, needed to make a change. And Danny Ozark, bless his soul, was they, they got to the playoffs under Ozark, but they couldn't get to the World Series. Now, Dallas Green took over the team. He took, and, I, and there's no way to stress this enough. He took over a team that never won the World Series ever. Ever. And the Philadelphia Phillies had a year with a, a scrap and claw. And Dallas Green was apparently not a cute and cuddly guy. Would chew out people. People didn't like his managerial style. And they fought tooth and nail with the Montreal Expos down to the last weekend of the series, of the season. And they won. They won the division. But they've won divisions before. This time they didn't face the Dodgers, who lost the one-game playoff to Houston. They, they faced Houston. And the Royals went on to win the pennant. And the Phillies played one of the great playoff series in baseball history against the Houston Astros. Where if you look at it, every game went down to the last pitch. Every game one team could win. The, the Astros were one swing away from winning the pennant. And think what would have happened there. Stop and think about this for a second. You had a group of teams... Dodgers, the Yankees, the Royals, and the Phillies, who seemed to be in the playoffs every damn year. And so this was finally Kansas City's turn after all those years of losing to the Yankees. This was finally their turn. And it appeared that it was finally going to be the Phillies' turn. But they were facing the Houston Astros. And the Astros, with their great talent, and if J.R. Richard hadn't had a stroke, they probably would have won that series because they would have had him throwing. And you know, one, game, one team takes the lead, another team, it was just unbelievable games that were being played between the Phillies and the Astros. Had the Astros won, and they were one swing away from doing so, you would have had a World Series between the Kansas City Royals and the Houston Astros, two expansion teams, two teams that did not exist prior to 1961. And a matchup between two franchises that did not exist until 19, you know, the post-expansion post franchise, the first time we had that was 2015, when it was the Mets and the Royals. But if that had happened in 1980, think of what that would have meant for the legacy of the Phillies. That they would have lost another pennant, once again, good enough to make the playoffs, not good enough to go to the World Series. And you would have had two expansion teams battling for a title while the last original franchise in its final, you know, in their original home was still without a title. What that would have meant for the identity of the team. Instead, the Phillies clawed their way to a title, got to the World Series, and won a thriller with Tug McGraw striking out Willie Wilson and the Phillies were the world champs for the first time ever. 
They won the World Series again in 2008. Those are the only two times they've ever won. Now, if they had, if they had not won in 1980, what that would have meant in 2008 may have been bigger than the Red Sox or the Cubs because you would have no championships, zero. What Dallas Green did as manager of the Phillies was he took a franchise off the hook. He took a franchise that was either a loser or good enough to get in the postseason, not far enough after that, and made him a world champion, took the franchise off the hook. And with that, he moved over to the Cubs and was damn nearly did the same thing for them. Now, he, was, he came over as the general manager of the Cubs and basically tried to raid the Phillies, brought a lot of his coaches, brought a lot of players over there, and then made a very shrewd deal where he sent Ivan Jesus to the Phillies where he wanted to get Larry Boa, his former shortstop, and had the Phillies throw in a minor league third baseman who he shifted over to second base. His name? Well, of course, that was Ryan Sandberg. But the Cubs were a team that was basically the Phillies of the, the Phillies slightly west. And when the Cubs went on to win the 1984 division, and Jim Fry, and by the way, Jim Fry was uh, the manager of the Kansas City Royals in 1980, the team that the Phillies defeated. And he basically took as many Phillies as possible, and the manager he defeated and built the Cubs team that was up to nothing and had chances and had a lead relatively late in game five of the National League Championship Series. He made a bunch of moves that formulated that team, but none bigger than picking up Rick Sutcliffe, who was not even in the National League in April and May of 1984, but went on to be the National League Cy Young Award winner after going 16-1 with the Cubs. The Cubs came so close to winning the pennant. So close. Now, who knows what they would have done against the Tigers because the Tigers were, you know, playing in another world that year. But can you imagine how close he was to basically taking two franchises off the hook? Basically taking the Phillies off the hook and the Cubs. And even what he did, even though they didn't win the pennant, this was the first time Cub fans saw postseason play since 1945. So if you're, you know, think about the rule of seven. The rule of seven, of course, being you don't really start following a team until you're around seven years old. If you're a Philadelphia Philly fan in 1980, the last time your team went to uh, the World Series was 1950. 1950. And 
means the rule of seven is you don't have a memory that at that time if you were born after uh, 1943. And with that in mind, if you were 37 years old or younger in 1980, that 1980 World Series was the first time you had any memory of the Phillies in a World Series. Now take when the Cubs made the uh, playoffs in 1984. That was the first time they had made the postseason since 1945. It was 39 years. So, I mean, when you consider if you were 46 years old or younger, anyone 46 years or old or younger in 1984, that was your first time experiencing the Cubs even in a playoff series. And what that meant emotionally for Cub fans to have a season like that after years after years. Like, not, it was the first time they made the postseason since divisional play. Now, of course, it took until last year to get them in the World Series and winning it. They were still on the hook. But the joy he brought to two fan bases that were probably resigned. One fan base was resigned to saying, well, we're never going to win it. We're never going to win it all. We'll never even see a World Series. And another fan base resigned to thinking we'll never even make the playoffs. Because they couldn't make the playoffs with Ernie Banks, Billy Williams, Fergie Jenkins, Ron Santo. I mean, what the hell are they going to do since? And so, that's one of the legacies that Dallas Green had. Letting two fan bases have experience of joy which they probably even didn't think were possible with the Phillies winning it all and the Cubs at least getting to the dance. Now, he flopped badly in his one year with the Yankees. He flopped badly in his time with the uh, Mets, and maybe that hurt his long-term uh, legacy. Maybe his peak was too quick, too fast. Maybe he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Of course, it was a tremendous tragedy that went on in his life as his child was, his granddaughter was shot in one of those horrible mass shootings that took place in Tucson a few years ago, and he was very vocal about his thoughts on that. And for someone who was not cute, cuddly, or emotional, man, if you didn't feel from then, you're just not a human being. The point I guess I'm making is this. Sometimes... Someone has a legacy as a baseball man like Dallas Green. And it's not always going to be one that is the first out of your mouth or the first thing you think about. But think about what a Philly fan or a Cub fan owes him if you were a fan of that team in the 80s. That you had something to cheer about after generations had squat. And I guess for that reason, above all, I'll say, hey, Dallas Green, you're worth a salute. You took a couple of fan bases who had no reason to think they'd have joy, and you gave them some happiness. May you rest in peace. And go to sullybaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Giving respect to Dallas Green on the 23rd day of March 2017. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.